scripture comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 31 to 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away in eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the word of our Lord. Last week and this week, we were discussing our third overarching value, which is also coincides with the third part of our mission statement. Our mission here at Grace is exalting Christ, seeing him transform lives who, in turn, embrace their communities. And our third overarching mission statement uh, or, or value is others before ourselves. Yesterday, it was so refreshing to uh, see two vans and a car uh, loaded with people head out early on a Saturday morning to Asheville to serve the homeless, to serve people who cannot do anything for them in return, but only to receive the food that they eat that morning. Just watching them go by the house and seeing uh, these students up and at it early was such an encouragement. And that embodies this value, others before ourselves. We are by nature selfish people. We think constantly of ourselves. We uh, don't have to try to do that, do we? Uh, it is our culture that invented the selfie, after all. Stephen Kendrick, in his book, The Love Dare, says almost every simple action ever committed can be traced back to a selfish motive. 
It is a trait we hate in other people, but justify in ourselves. I don't know if you've ever spent time with a narcissist. A narcissist or narcissism is the condition under which an individual thinks so much of himself or herself that he or she struggles to think at all of others. The technical definition is an inflated view of the self uh, combined with a complete indifference to other people. People who are high in this trait fail to help others unless there is immediate gain or recognition for themselves uh, for doing so. Often think they are above the law and violate the law, and they readily trample over others in their efforts to rise to the top. Narcissistic people. You may not know that since the 70s, studies have been done on narcissism among college students. Every single decade, these studies are done and compiled. And one of the troubling realities, and I love college students, I love those of you, I see some uh, uh, several college students in the service this morning. This is not uh, an easy slam on a younger generation, but the, uh, the amazing reality is that today, 70% of college students score higher than they did 30 years ago on the narcissism uh, measurement tool. There is a widespread self-absorption that is gradually increasing, and I'm afraid that you take the sinful nature and combine with it the pervasiveness of self-supporting and uh, self-promoting technology, and it results in an advancement of selfishness like we've never seen before. It is into that uh, that Jesus still speaks today. In this passage, he confronts selfishness and narcissism. I love the way he refers to himself in this passage. We addressed one of the phrases last week, son of man. Son of man, introduced by Daniel in chapter 7. The son of man is a phrase that describes this coming glory of Jesus, this uh, king of kings. But in this passage is the only time and any time in scripture study you see or hear the only time, ears perk up and pay attention, the only time Jesus refers to himself as king is here. It is the only time in all the gospels that he calls himself a king. And he says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. I would just submit to you today that whatever your view of Jesus is, it is too low. I would submit to you today that whatever your thoughts of him, they are too little. I would say to you today, That however you view the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Son of man who will one day come and reign in glory, it is well below how we ought to esteem him. 
We will never approach his majesty. Here he knows he is about to be humiliated, crucified, devastated, destroyed by the angry mob. But he also knows, praise God, that there's a resurrection coming. Amen? He knows that. He knows that he will ascend to heaven. And he knows that he will return as King of kings and Lord of lords. He will one day sit on his glorious throne. So he gives us two words of insight about that day. What are they? Number one, you are saved by grace. You are saved by grace. It is clear here, verses 32 and 33, before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will place the sheep on his right but the goats on his left. Much has been made about sheep and goats and why one is chosen over the other. I don't know if you've ever seen a mixture of sheep and goats. Senegal, I have seen them mixed. It's hard to separate one from the other. Uh, they do look very much alike. Certain sheep and certain goats look a lot alike. Another reason Jesus may have chosen sheep and goats is that they were in his day the most common domesticated animal. It is what almost every household had. They had some sheep and they had some goats. Sheep are good, goats are bad. If Jesus had been teaching today, it would be dogs and cats. Dogs are good, cats are bad. Dogs go to heaven, cats do not. Just saying. My opinion, but I think that's how it would have gone down. So, these are domesticated animals. Jesus intentionally chooses them. And when he does, he says there's going to be a separation. Verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Please hear me. There are many people when they read this passage who assume that it is your good works that get you into heaven. If you love the least of these, if you feed the hungry, if you serve the poor, it is your good works that will earn a place for you, a spot for you in heaven, because connected to the feeding of the poor, connected to the clothing of the naked, connected to uh, the visiting of the prisoners is a judgment that results in saying, come in. But to think that is to miss key words in Jesus' description what are they? Two words, blessed and inheritance. Blessed and inherited. The word blessed is someone who enjoys God's good favor. There are two words for the word blessed in the New Testament in Greek. One occurs often. It is in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the meek. Uh, that list goes on. 
that is the most oft-quoted used uh, word in uh, Greek for blessed, and it can be interchanged with the word happy. This word, I think, as I recall, occurs eight times in the Gospels, and those eight times, it is always connected to the good favor of God. It is not an oft-occurring word. So God's good favor is his grace extended at his pleasure as he desires regardless of, uh, of, of the good or the bad I've done. That's what it means to be blessed. To be blessed is to be in God's good favor. Inherit. To inherit comes to you as a gift. Inheritances are not earned, they're given. Implied in the word is something given to you that you only receive because a a family member dies. That's when you typically get an inheritance at the death of your family member. Then there's the phrase, prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Uh, There's much written about that. Jesus' teaching here says little about the concepts of predestination and and the, the foreknowledge of God. And so I won't delve in that today, two weeks from today. Uh, the second sermon in the series on Ephesians, we're jumping in the deep end, all right? So just hold on. It's there. Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 is replete with that uh, language, uh, and we'll jump in then. Suffice it to say that if you sit here and you are saved, it is not by your works but by His grace. It is not by anything that you have done, anything that you could accomplish, any good on your part. Because if there's anything good enough that you and I could do, the cross is an absolute, unnecessary, awful experiment. But it is by His grace. It's not by our works. Aren't you glad? I'm so glad. I'm just so glad that it is by His grace and it is not by my works. But we, we lose sight of that. I love the way Tim Keller describes this in his excellent work on prayer. Tim Keller says this. He said, uh, imagine a little boy playing with a toy dump truck. He's loving his toy dump truck and he's playing with it until it breaks. And when his toy dump truck breaks, what does the boy do? Well, he screams, ah, you know, my dump truck. He said, then imagine his dad leaning over and saying, son, we just got news. And, and, and a, uh, uh, a family member you've never met just left you $100 million. As soon as the, 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 uh, the uh, dad has finished talking to his three-year-old, what is the three-year-old going to do? Fix my dump truck. Why? He has no clue about the $100 million inheritance. Our works, our efforts are that dump truck. And we sometimes cry out to a God who has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He's given us everything we need. we just like for him to fix our dump truck. Unless you still think of Jesus lying in a manger or dying on a cross. Listen to who John saw. 
This is the resurrected, glorified King Jesus. I love Ben's song. I love the words of that. He paid it. What, class? All for me. He paid it all. I love Easter. I love Good Friday. I love Resurrection Sunday. I love remembering that. But there come some days when we need to see this. John, exiled on that tiny island, hard to even see on a map, called Patmos, where the Aegean and the Mediterranean Sea kind of flow into one another. He says this, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands one like, what is it? A what? A son of man. This is who Daniel saw, isn't it? One like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with the golden sash around his chest. Allow these words to paint a picture in your mind. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. That is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? That is who we will one day see. That is him as he is now. That is him today. He is in his glory and in his majesty, reigning as the King of kings, as the Lord of lords, as the Son of man. Do you have a problem too big for him? Do you have a situation he cannot solve? Do you know of a person that he cannot reach? Do you know of a sin that his grace cannot touch? I would say we do not. This is our Savior. This is him now. This is him. You are saved by grace. You are saved by grace. But then don't miss this. You are judged by works. You are judged by works. So why does King Jesus bid bid those on his right to enter in? For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. In Jesus' day, the government had no plans to feed the poor. It was taken care of by the Jewish people. So when one became a widow, it was the Jewish synagogue, that local synagogue in that local community that took care of the widows in that local community. We know that because in the book of Acts, in the early church, the church adopted the same practice. And and they had some issues, right, in Acts chapter 6, because some widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So a widow in Jesus' day had nothing. A true widow had no living children a true or living sons, and a true widow did not have, of course, a husband. And so folks stepped in to help. To visit someone in prison was a remarkable thing to do. Prisoners were not considered to be even people by 
standards of the day. Now, something interesting happens. Jesus looks at them and says, I was all these things and you did all these things. Notice their response. How did they respond? Well, yeah, you're right. We did that. Is that their response? No. Their response is as remarkable as Jesus' statement. Look, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to me or to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. All right, before we jump into this being judged by our works, let's look at a reality. It's an aside in Jesus' uh, exchange, Jesus' story, Jesus' telling of the judgment. And here is the reality. As much as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Jesus identifies with suffering people to the degree that when you minister to them, he feels the relief as they do. You say, well, how does that work? Through the years, we have had Montreat students come here and Grace become their church home. And through the years, especially around graduation, moms and dads will come in and join them for a service toward the end of their tenure at Montreat. And without fail, every year, moms and dads will come up to our leadership here, maybe Alan Michael, maybe me, and say, you took care of my son. You took care of my daughter when they were away from me. And you look in those moms and dads' faces and realize that what you did for their son and their daughter, you did for them. That while their son or daughter was away at college, there was a burning angst in them that their son or daughter know and follow the Lord. And those who served their son or their daughter were, were indeed serving them. When you serve Jesus' people, you serve him. Because he so identifies with you. Now, now just put this in. So that means then, if, if somebody here, if somebody here in this room is struggling, right? So if somebody in this room is struggling and they're going through something and somebody else in this room comes alongside them to alleviate their suffering, to serve them, that the Christ who loves the suffering person is so relieved by the relief given to the suffering person is as if you are suffer you are serving the Christ who loves the suffering person all right so I happen to know that right now sitting in this room is one person whose roof we are fixing right now and in this room are the people who are doing the fixing so there's that person who desperately needs our help. There's those people who are just joyed to serve her. 
All of it is happening right now. It's playing out. And God is using all parties involved. And according to this passage, Jesus is feeling that, receiving that as you are giving it. But what I discover in their answer is they never saw it that way. Why? Here it is. Please hear me. Because what God had done on the inside of them naturally worked its way to the outside. It, they just assumed they're hurting, I help. They're hurting, I help. It, it's just when God is working on the inside of you, on the outside, that's what comes out. They're hurting and I help. They're hurting and I help. They're hurting and I help. And you just do it and you don't think about it. You, you don't go, oh, score one up. Jesus, did you see that one? Like I got up really early yesterday morning, Jesus put that in a mark by my name, right? Did you see those hours? Did you see where I trekked over to another country, Jesus? They eat a lot of rice. Mark it down. No, no. When you do this out of the overflow of your heart, it just doesn't occur to you. It just You just don't even think about it. You don't even think about it. Well, how does that work? Works do not save you. They show that you are saved. That's the point. They do not save you, but they show that you are. And so I would just say to you in here, with all the grace that I can, that if you sit here and it never occurs to you to serve or help anyone else, check your heart. Check your heart. Do you belong to Christ? Or do you belong to yourself? If it never occurs to you to do that, Tim is sitting here. He drives a, uh, and, and works with uh, the company's name, Safe Light Auto, right? Does windshields. And on the way in today, he said, Jerry, could you just challenge everybody to do something? Great challenge. So I'm going to give it to you. He said, when somebody asks you to pray for them, tell them you will, but Stop and pray right then. Right then and there for them, then and there. It's just a simple way to serve. Matthew 17, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. All right, so you say, I don't like to judge people. Well, just kind of be a good fruit inspector. All right, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So I see a couple of inherent dangers and we'll move on. Danger number one is that you become so theologically astute, right? Your pursuit is always theology and, and, and diving down deep that you become blinded to anthropology, people. You don't see people around you, right? You, you just don't see them. You're excited about the, the latest and greatest uh, theological concept you've grappled with. 
I love theology. But theology without anthropology leads to arrogance. Indifference. It leads to ivory towers and lofty ideals and a community dying, going to hell, and nobody doing a thing about it. What is your fruit? What is it? Does it flow out of a heart that is simply devoted to God and you just can't imagine not doing what it is you do? It, it was for them, wasn't it? They, they're like, when do we see you? We're just doing what we should have done. That just shows, incidentally, that their salvation is a work of the grace of God. Stumbled across this story a couple weeks ago, found it to be kind of funny. In Powell, Wyoming, the city has potted plants everywhere like many cities do, right? Well, somebody evidently decided to have some fun and went and planted pot in their potted plants <laughs> all over the city. June last year, flowers are blooming, things are looking great. Somebody walking down the sidewalk and goes, whoa, what's that? It's marijuana. They were brazen enough to plant them in front of the police department. <laughs> the whole city, in the news story, says, has gone to pot. It's a horrible joke. Um, but seriously, this calls for serious self-reflection why look at this then he will say to those on his left depart from me these words are profound you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels hell is real hell is eternal hell is eternal separation from god It is not a euphemism. Hell is a real place. Why? What does he base the judgment on? The works that show no relationship with the Father. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also, then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment. But the what? Righteous into eternal life there are two places that everyone will go every person in this room has one of two destinations you will either die we all will unless Christ returns first and you will go to a place that words cannot describe of joy unspeakable it is not even entered into our hearts what God has prepared for those who love him. And you will go to heaven and you will be 
in the most amazing worship you've ever experienced. You will enjoy unbridled fellowship with God, unriddled by sin. You will be with God in heaven. And then there are people in this room, even now, listening to me today, who do not know Christ. And you will go to hell if you die as you are. In that place, it is described as weeping and gnashing of teeth. Don't know if it's ever occurred to you, but if there are people gnashing teeth, well, who are they gnashing their teeth on? There's an old legend that goes like this, that this man said to God, show me heaven, show me hell. God took him and opened a room, and in that room was a round table, and around that table were uh, people, uh, on the middle of that table was a large bowl of soup, sumptuous soup, brimming hot. Around that table were gaunt people, emaciated because they had not eaten, though the bowl of soup was in the middle. They had long spoons, but the spoons were so long that they could not, with those spoons, get them to their mouths. And so, while the soup was in the middle, they could not feed themselves. Then they walked to another room, to another door, and opened that door. And in that room, same table, same bowl of sumptuous soup. The people were happy and eating and well-nourished. Same spoons, same length. But they were feeding each other. And God said, that is heaven. If you are selfish now, you do not know selfishness like you will be absent from the presence of God. Tim Keller says, Christ literally walked in our shoes and entered into our affliction. Those who will not help others until they are destitute reveal that Christ's love has not yet turned them into the sympathetic persons the gospel should make them. I have three questions for reflection for you today. Number one, do I serve others to be satisfied? Or do I serve others because I am already satisfied in Christ? Do I serve others to be satisfied? Or do I serve others because I am already satisfied in Christ? Number two. Do I serve others because I have to? Or because I get to? 
Do I serve others because I have to or because I get to? Number three, when I'm serving others, am I thinking, I hope they're grateful for what I'm doing for them. These three questions perhaps will serve as gauges of our hearts. And the whole idea of being saved by grace and judged by works, God may in his providence use it to bring to your conscious awareness that you've somehow missed out on salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And you you realize that there's been a lot of hunger and thirst around you that you missed. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you, by your grace, saved us from our sins and ourselves, brought us into a new and living hope. Nothing in our hands, the old hymn writer says, we bring simply to thy cross we cling. I pray if through this feeble attempt at expounding what you, the King of kings and Lord of lords, has made clear. I pray that if you have brought a religious person to the realization that his or her religion is null and void outside of a relationship with you, Jesus, that they would pray a simple prayer of admission of their sin, belief that you died for them, and commit their lives to you today. May they not tarry a moment. As both heaven and hell are sure and real, I pray that you would reignite in those who drifted away from their heart of service to others in need and in passion desire to be your hands and feet, to be salt and light. In Jesus' name, amen.